0: The next verses go on to say that looking on the hearts of humanity grieved the heart of God because the world was filled with violence because of these human beings he had made. This is right before the Noah story. And it seems from the news that nothing has changed. You are listening to Holy Words from Holy Cross sermon podcast of Holy Cross Evangelical Lutheran Church in Nazareth, Pennsylvania. We hope you find these words a blessing in your daily walk with God. Please visit us on the web at www.holycrossnazareth.org or in person at 696 Johnson Road, Nazareth, Pennsylvania. Be thou my vision, O Lord of my heart. Not be all I want to ask begin by asking you this do you know what these numbers signify 83 and 32 83 is the combined number of the wounded from the shootings in El Paso and Dayton 32 is the number of the dead Add to that, 59 shot last weekend in Chicago alone. Seven of whom have died of their wounds. That's one city without a shootings that got coverage in the national news. Imagine what happens when you add all our cities together. And forget what you think you know about the motivations for this violence. The El Paso shooter left a memorandum describing why he hated those of Hispanic origin for using up resources that should go towards universal health care and a guaranteed minimum income. Hardly political ideas from the right. The Dayton shooter also identified himself as a far left-wing supporter of Elizabeth Warren, and he was upset that socialism wasn't being instituted quickly enough in the United States. And I'm not here to pick on the left, I've been to the bomb site in Oklahoma City where the Murrow building was blasted out by someone from the right. There's craziness all around. And the motivations for the violence in Chicago are the usual turf wars and petty jealousies and crimes of passion that we've come to expect, especially in our inner cities. And that's the point. We've come to expect it. We've come to expect it because we come to know what we expect from people. A seven-year-old grandson of a fellow pastor came home just, just blown away when in school he was taught about the history of slavery here in this country where he sings about the land of the free and the home of the brave. And as his mother tried to explain to him the complexities in the history and the people who worked to eliminate that heinous institution, he said this, he said... I think, Mom, if somebody wants to hate you, they will find a reason to hate you. Actually, he said, he said this, they will find a reason to justify their hate. Can you imagine that from the mouth of a seven-year-old kid? In Genesis 6, 5, the Lord, it says this, it says, The Lord saw that the wickedness of man was great in the earth and that every intention of the thoughts of his heart was only evil continually. The next verses go on to say that looking on the hearts of humanity grieved the heart of God because the world was filled with violence because of these human beings he had made. This is right before the Noah story. And it seems from the news that nothing has changed. And so we come here to pray. I hope you... If even though you, if you didn't come forward, I hope you took that time to pray for those who were coming forward or for other things in your life. We come here to pray because the world is crazy. The world is full of violence and we have come to expect it. It's fashionable now to say thoughts and prayers are not enough. If you don't think that's true, go home and Google it. See what the hits come up on. Thoughts and prayers are not enough because the world requires action of us. And to be sure, it does. There are actions that need to be taken in a world that is full of evil. But if you agreed with the Word of God, with God's own opinion, that the hearts of people are intentionally evil, and every imagination of their hearts heads in that direction... It's logical to say to yourself, well, if that's what's in my heart, how am I going to go out and act? Because don't actions flow out of the heart? And so we come here to pray. We come here to connect with something higher and larger than ourselves. And that is what every religion tries to do. Every religion. That's part of the impulse. Even for the religions that don't believe in God, like Confucianism or Buddhism, the adherents of those religions submit themselves to a higher way like the Tao or the Eightfold Path, the Noble Truths. And so they hope to come above what they find inside themselves. So if we look at the world and conclude that its politics and philosophies and hates and even loves are going to be not the answer to the problem but part of the problem, we are rightly seeking answers outside ourselves. And in Jesus, in Jesus alone, has the Word become flesh? Has the Logos, the ordering principle of the universe, has taken on our flesh and walked among us In Jesus alone has God made tangible the object of every human quest and the answer to every human question. Could you flip on to the next slide, please? If you remember this, we talked about this. It's just a a way of getting into prayer. And so we begin... When we look at Jesus by adoring Him, by acclaiming Him to the world, we exalt the name of Jesus not only to show the world, but rather to show again ourselves. The only way of salvation, the only hope for this miserably violent world, and then we turn to the only book or collection of books that lifts up Jesus for us and presents Him to us again. And the Holy Spirit uses the words of the Scriptures to ignite faith in us, to trust in Him. And through the power of that Holy Spirit, we then confess. Confess to the God Jesus has taught us to call Father that our hearts are not aligned with His. That our loves are not His loves, the, the violence he deplores in the world, we can find present in us, even if it hasn't come out our mouths yet, or we haven't used our hands to implement it. We confess everything in us that is not in perfect alignment with God's heart and will. We confess, and I want you to hear this clearly we confess that we are not sinners because we sin. We sin because we are sinners. We give thanks then when we have offered our confession that in Christ Jesus God has not chosen as He did in the flood to wipe us out because of the violence in our hearts or consign us to hell and eternity apart from His love but rather has forgiven our sins, has taken the full burden and wages of our sins upon Himself and then Only then can we be properly thankful for the other things in our lives for we will then know for certain that we don't deserve even the least of them. Every other blessing in our life as Jesus says when he says seek first the kingdom of God and everything else will get added to you. Everything else we receive is only icing on the cake once we have received eternal life through Jesus. I want to tell you the story um, that I'm standing at the pulpit instead of standing out where I usually preach today. Um, I want to tell you the story of Paul Tagashi Nagai. Um, you probably guess from his name, he's from Japan. Uh, he was born in Nagasaki in 1908. In medical school, he went on to be a doctor in 1928. Um, he gave up his native the shintoism and the confucianism in which he was trained as a child in favor of the atheistic materialism of his professors and the other doctors and here's what he wrote in his autobiography he wrote i was so sure that there was no such thing as a soul but when his mother's died when his mother died he said my mother's eyes told me that the human spirit lives after death i could not but believe this All this was by way of an intuition, an intuition-carrying conviction. So he was looking for something at that point. Well, he met a family called the Moriyamas. Um, They were part of Japan's, what they call their hidden Christian community. They had survived nearly two and a half centuries of persecution uh, there on the island. And he attended a Christmas service with them. And in that Christmas service, he felt clearly for the first time the presence of God. And as the priest talked about the Son of God's humility in taking on our flesh and lowering himself from all the privileges of Godhood, it made him feel with shame the selfishness and the materialism that was in his own heart. Here's what he wrote. He said, Here is the humility that our minds know is the truth to make us free. Here is the salvation for which our hearts yearn. How can we complain about hardships when the Holy Family accepted the darkness and pain of this night because it was the Father's loving plan? In 1934, he was baptized and he took the name Paul not after the um, apostle, but rather after Paulo Miki, who had been a martyr for the Christian faith in Japan in the 16th century. He married a daughter of the Moriyama family named Mori, and he had two children with her. That was 1934. In 1945, he was diagnosed with incurable leukemia. He was doing research into the medical uses of radiation, and like Madame he suffered for his research. The shielding on the equipment was terribly bad back then. When he told his wife that soon she would be a young mother and a young widow. He said this, she said this, excuse me. She said, We said before we were married that if our lives are spent for the glory of God, then life and death are beautiful. You have given everything you had for work that was very, very important. It was for His glory. And he's. He wrote in his journals that Midori's acceptance has freed me. I can now face death because Midori is beside me. But such was not to be. For about two months later, on August 9, 1945, Midori and his children disappeared in the flash of the atomic weapon that ended World War II. Ironically, he survived the blast because he was at work, and the walls around the radiation department were so thick, he was partially sheltered, but he took a chest wound, which meant he couldn't go seeking his wife and children for two days. When he finally found the remains of their home, all he could find were the charred remains of his wife's hand clutching a rosary, for they were Catholics. And he gave thanks that she died while praying. And in his own prayer, he said this He said, Gracious Jesus, our Savior, you once sweat blood and bore the heavy cross to your crucifixion. And now you have shed peaceful light on the mystery of suffering and death on Midori's and my own. He later wrote this. Unless you have suffered and wept, you really don't understand what compassion is, nor could you give comfort to someone who is suffering. If you haven't cried, you can't dry another's eyes. Unless you've walked in darkness, you can't help wanderers find the way. Unless you've looked into the eyes of menacing death and felt its hot breath, you can't help another rise from the dead and taste anew the joy of being alive. He wrote a book called The Bells of Nagasaki, a message of hope from a witness, which was published in 1949. Although bedridden, he had some illustrious visitors to his sickbed, the Emperor Hirohito, Helen Keller, a cardinal sent by Pope Pius XII. During that time, he was an activist for peace and against war, calling people to the way of the cross as a way of preventing war in the future. In 1951, as he was clearly dying, he wrote this, "'Goodbye, my flesh, I must now journey beyond, as the fragrance must leave the rose.' On May 1st, at the mere age of 43, he was laid to his rest, and here's the epitaph he chose for his tombstone. It was from the Gospel of Luke, a fellow physician. And he wrote this, We are unworthy servants. We have only done what was our duty. Let me ask you this, could you lose everything and still praise God for His goodness? Because you know from the very depths of your being that your life is more than food and your body more than clothing? Because you know you are of infinitely more worth to God than the birds that are out there squabbling on our rooftop? When you wake in the morning, do you begin by truly seeking God's kingdom first or are your thoughts occupied with the things of this world? Do you truly treasure relationship with Christ above all things so that the pleasures of this world are merely added on top like icing on the cake because what we treasure there is our heart also said Jesus if your answer to this question or these questions is no then join the club (laughs) that is what it means to be a sinner someone who's life is not perfectly aligned with God's heart. We enter into prayer adoring, confessing, and thanking God so that our hearts may be realigned with His. And although God in His grace accepts every prayer offered under any conditions, when we are immersed in this Spirit-led process we begin to be truly ready to make our requests of God, to enter into our supplication as we will do in a moment because who He is is clear to our eyes. We remember our abject neediness and our unworthiness as we are as bold as Abraham in requesting things of Him. And we remember His unfailing love shown most clearly in His Son hanging on the cross as we ask for wholeness of mind or body or spirit or in the world, amongst our relationships, and we can truly end our prayers with the words that Jesus spoke in Gethsemane. Thy will be done. Because we have that kind of trust in Him. Will you join me for a word of prayer? gracious heavenly God the time is flying and uh, I looked at the clock and uh oh I ran over (laughs) but I pray Lord that the example of your servant Paul Takashi and the example of your son is ever before us so that we may surrender ourselves to you in prayer we may open our hearts and our minds to you and come to you as a trusting child, putting our hands in yours and knowing not where you'll lead us, but that you are leading and that that is enough. Bless us and keep us for your Son's sake, Jesus Christ our Lord. Amen.